an unforgettable week. That's what we've been talking about all through the month of March. I want to talk to you today. We've talked, we're picking the days of this amazing week, this, the greatest week in history, to talk about how Jesus lived out his last week today. I want to talk to you about Great Friday. I know we call it Good Friday. And many times I'm asked, why do you call it good? I mean, we had this horrible crucifixion, this brutal torture that led to death. Uh, It was a very sad time, a very uh, heartbreaking time for his mother and the disciples and followers. Why do you call it good? Actually, it was called Good Friday to celebrate the anniversary of his crucifixion. That's where it started. But I want to present to you today, it was Great Friday. And I want to tell you why. It was Great Friday. There's never been another Friday like it. I want to walk you through uh, the Friday of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Now, you notice the text is Luke 22, verses 66 through 23, 56. I'm not going to read all those. Okay? You need to go home and read those. And kind of let God just spend time with you over what took place. But I am going to share some highlights from those, from those passages. So I, I want you to, to look at this with me. Because here's what I want you to know as I put in your introduction. Everybody got what they wanted. But nothing was what it appeared to be. I mean, everybody really got what they wanted. The religious leaders got what they wanted. Pilate got what he wanted. Jesus got what he wanted. But it wasn't so obvious. Let's look at this together. And I'm going to just give you the points, and then I'm going to go to the Scripture because I want you to follow through, beginning at verse 66 of chapter 22. Uh, at daybreak, all the elders of the people assembled, including the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law. I mean, these are the heavy hitters of religion, okay? These are the guys that knew everything and understood the scriptures, the prophets, the, the law. And, and Jesus was led before this high council. And they said, tell us, are you the Messiah? Now, this was a trial. They were trying him on his ministry and his message. Now, the first point I want you to get, the trial was meant to discredit his character, but actually testified to the integrity of his character. It had the opposite effect. The the guys came together and said, we're going to make this guy look really bad. We're going to make him look so bad that Rome is going to want to kill him. And we're going to make him look so bad that everybody's going to tell us we did a great job. And so they went about trying to build their case. They call him in, and, and at this time, tell us you're the Messiah. But he replied, if I tell you, you won't believe me. You know why I said that? Because they weren't looking for truth. Please hear me. They were not looking for truth. They were looking for a reason to kill him. I talked to a lot of people today that ask questions They're not looking for truth. They're just looking for a reason to to continue to disbelieve. So Jesus caught this. He said, you won't believe me. I'm not going to tell you anything. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. He said, after today, gentlemen, 
Things are going to be different. Say what you will. Think what you think. But I will be seated at the right hand of God. That place of authority, ultimate authority and power. They all shouted, so you are claiming to be the son of God. And he replied, you say that I am. Why do we need other witnesses? They said, we ourselves heard him say it. Now, here's what's taking place. This trial has happened. They've tried to build a case against him. It wasn't accurate. It wasn't true. And so now they take him to Pilate because they do not have the authority or the power to execute him. That's a Roman power and privilege. And so they carry him to Pilate, the governor, and say, okay, we got this guy. And they accused him of three things. They said, number one, he's kind of mounting an insurrection against Roman rule and authority. He, wants to, he, he is claiming to be the king of the Jews, and he's trying to overthrow Rome. That was two things. He's trying to create a problem for Rome, and he claims to be the king of the Jews, a rival to the authority of Rome. The third thing was... He said, we don't have to pay poll tax. Now, we all know things haven't changed in 2,000 years. The government does not like it when you don't pay your taxes. That ain't changed. And so they're thinking, this will get them fired up because he said, don't pay your taxes at the poll. Well, they go to Pilate. They say, here's what's wrong with this man. He deserves death. He has committed acts of treason against Rome, blasphemy against God, And he's telling people not to pay their taxes. So Pilate says, well, let me talk to you. And here we look on. Uh, So Pilate asked him in chapter 23, verse 3. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now Pilate has been around. He understands how to do interrogation. He's looking at this man who's dressed in simple clothing. He doesn't have the appearance of a warrior. He doesn't look like he's been in fights, and he's just, he's going, uh, you know, this picture and matching up what I've heard. So he's talking to Jesus, and he said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Again, you say, why did he just say, yes, I am the king of the Jews? Because then he would have been declared guilty of insurrection, and that would have been wrong. He simply said to Pilate, so you say. Pilate turned to the leading priest and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Understand, they were coming to discredit his character. And all of a sudden, Pilate looks at him and says, why don't you bring me this guy? I don't find anything wrong with him. I find no fault in him. He hadn't done anything wrong. The sinless sacrifice for our, for our sin. Pilate says, he's not wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. And then they're kind of hustling to figure out how to, they're, they're kind of, they thought it'd be a slam dunk. It wasn't. So now they're going, okay, well, let me tell you, he's from Galilee. Well, what does that matter? Well, Galilee had always been historically a hotbed of rebels that tried to fight against Rome. And so they kind of threw that out there saying, he came from the place where they're always trying to do stuff against Rome. When they said Galilee, Pilate said, oh, he's from Galilee. Well, Herod is in charge of the region of Galilee. And so I want you to go to verse 6. Oh, is he a Galilean, Pilate asked. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction. And Herod, watch this, and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. Oh, I love it. When God's plan really comes together. 
You see, the Bible says early on that Jesus came in the fullness of time. At the perfect time where everybody was in, in charge for the government that was running everything and for everything that was taking place. And here's what we know. Herod just happened to be in Jerusalem on this particular day. And Pilate sent him over. And there's a conversation between Herod and Jesus. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. Now, I've got to catch this. Herod had heard about Jesus, the miracle worker, that he had done some amazing things. And Herod was curious and really desired to be entertained. You've got to catch He wasn't looking to believe. He was simply looking to be entertained. I'm amazed today in the 21st century how many people show up to be entertained on Sunday mornings. We want the choir to entertain us. We want the pastor to entertain us. And we really judge our, our, our visit to the church, our involvement based on where we well entertained. Without ever realizing we come to church to seek the face of Jesus, to worship him. We come to offer our praise and our adoration and lay our burdens down at his feet. We come to interact with the grace that pours over a, corp, uh, a corporate worship like this. Not about being entertained. It's about being transformed. It's about being renewed. It's about being challenged. It's about being convicted. It's about being confirmed. It is not about being entertained. But Herod says, I just want to be entertained by this man. So he shows up, and, and they're having this discussion. And uh, he asked Jesus question after question. But Jesus refused to answer. Verse 10, meanwhile, the leading priest and the teachers of religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and the soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Now, I just want to make a note here. The people are crying out that he, he's, a, he's a king of the Jews and he's a rebel rouser and he causes trouble. And they're hollering accusations. So Herod takes advantage of the opportunity and thinks he also tries to entertain the crowd. So his soldiers get into it. They begin to make fun of Jesus and mock Jesus. Uh, they, they, they're playing around with him. Uh, they're making fun of him. They give him a robe, and they're just laughing at him. And Herod's actually entertaining the crowd. Guys, uh, I want to say that that's happening in the 21st century. Some of the entertainment that comes across into our homes. I'm amazed how many people want to make fun of Jesus. They make fun of him. They make fun. This time of year, you'll hear people make fun of the cross. and they'll, they'll, Guys, they're just trying to do this for entertainment. And I, I got to tell you, I ain't got time. I ain't got patience for that. I, I don't. Uh, that's, that's when, hey, we're going to change the channel. I ain't going to let that, 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 that's wrong. For entertainment's sake, let's, let's make fun of Jesus. That's what Herod was doing. Don't be drawn into that kind of entertainment. 
because I just never think it's proper to make fun of someone who died for someone else. Just a thought. But it's happening all the time because it's entertainment. No. Herod sends him back and Pilate looks at the people and says, guys, I didn't find anything wrong with him. I sent him to Herod. Herod sends him back and said, I don't find anything wrong with the guy. There's, this man has done nothing deserving of death. He's done nothing wrong. Goes back to his integrity. He had to be sinless. And you say, why is that a big deal? Because the Jewish scribes and religious leaders understood when Pilate said, I don't and Herod does not find fault with this man. They automatically had to remember what was taught in Deuteronomy that truth was established by two witnesses in any court of law. Two people, not even of Jewish faith, had no dog in the fight, so to speak, had no reason. They simply said the guy had nothing wrong. They testified to his integrity and his character. I think that's pretty awesome. So there was a trial. Well, you know what happened. Pilate says, I'm going to let him go. No, you can't let him go. And they're saying, you've got to crucify him. You've got to crucify him. And he says, well, uh, so he, he has him beaten, beaten horribly with a cat of nine tails, beaten beyond recognition, beaten beyond what we could even imagine for where you would probably you put a crown of thorns on his head and you, may, and, and you, 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 you punish him. And you, it's a form of torture what they would do. They would beat him without mercy. And skin would part and muscle would fall out and muscle would separate from the bone. It was a hideous sight to behold. Basically, the back would become like hamburger meat. Just look awful and raw. And then he would say, now, it's because of the day it is and celebrate, we're going to let one man go. I've got Barabbas, who's a known criminal, known murderer, and I've got Jesus, who's been beat half to death. Who do you want? And the crowd cried out, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And what do you want to do with him? Crucifying. Crucifying. Now, Pilate says, so it is. And put over, as was the custom of Rome, they always put your crime on your cross. His crime was he's king of the Jews. And they didn't want that. They're fussing about that. God, they said, no, that was his crime. He says, you said, and that's how I'd be crucified. Things weren't as they appeared. They got what they wanted. He was crucified. But that wasn't the end. Because that's also what Jesus wanted, to be crucified. Jesus made it clear, if I didn't want to die, I'd just call my angels and I wouldn't be dying. Peter says in Acts 2, when he's talking to those, uh, uh, to those uh, that are in town at the Pentecost, he said, look, this was a plan before the foundations of the world that Jesus would die on a cross. What an accident. You see, the second thing I want you to get is the crucifixion was designed to extinguish life brutally. But actually, 
was the execution of the divine plan to give life eternally. Pretty amazing. The crucifixion was supposed to put the movement to an end. It was supposed to show Jesus as a horrible example of those that would teach and follow what he was teaching. It was to make an example of him, if you will. The scribes and the religious people said, let's get back and let's deal with this man. Let's show people he's nothing but a common criminal. Oh, but it was actually the divine plan. It was the execution of God's heart and mind from the beginning that we may have life eternally. You see, some people see the crucifixion of Jesus as a tragedy that could have been avoided. I mean, why didn't he say this? Or why didn't somebody do this? Why didn't they step up? Understand, it was never Christ's intention to avoid the cross. I mean, Satan tried to do that back in the wilderness. Take a shortcut. Jesus said, no. I got a task to fulfill, a purpose to live out. And it includes a cross. Um, It was a great Friday because it was the day that God's plan came to fulfillment. It was a day that Jesus wore my crown and wore your crown, took my stripes, took your stripes on the back. It was the day he bled in my place. It was the day he died in my place that I might have eternal life. It was a great Friday. Crucifixion was horrible. It, 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 it started at probably roughly nine in the morning after three hours at noon. Uh, Something took place that got everyone's attention. The the third thing I want you to get is this. As you look at this, uh, by this time it was about noon, verse 44, and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock for three hours. It was dark. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Now that's going to be at noon. It got dark at about 3 o'clock. The temple, uh, the, the veil of the temple was, was torn, which would be the hour of prayer, incidentally, for the Jews. So, here's what happened. Jesus is there. He has been crucified. He's been treated brutally and horribly. They have made fun of him. They have mocked him. And yet, at that moment of darkness, why did the darkness come? Because it was the moment when God poured his wrath out on sin. And yes, even his son who became sin is a moment of great love that he would do for you and for me. You see, that's what it was. A time of darkness came. The time of darkness seemed to be a natural event, but was a holy visitation of wrath and judgment on the sins of the world and on Jesus. It's a serious time. Solemn time. God is satisfying judgment for sin in the person of his son. That's why it's so important that people come to Christ. There's no way to satisfy God's demand for judgment and righteousness other than Christ. No matter what religion people prefer. If it's without Christ, it's a waste of your time and your energy 
and your resources because it can't get the job done. Nothing in religion can do what Jesus did on the cross or in denominational work or in social kindness. It takes Jesus because that's when God made it all work. He dealt with sin in the person of Christ. When the darkness came, Jesus, I believe, touched four things in his death. He touched the sun. It stopped shining. He touched the sanctuary and the veil of the temple uh, tore from top to bottom. It was 80 feet high, 25 feet wide, and as thick as your hand. And yet, and there was people, there was an hour of prayer. People were there. The priests were doing what they did every day. And all of a sudden, they heard this commotion and this tearing, and they saw it tear. And they're amazed because that is what protected the Holy of Holies from common people. And only the high priest could go in. And the significance of that great Friday was that Jesus became the high priest. And here the Holy of Holies dying on the altar of the cross for the sins of the world. And the veil was no longer needed. God is saying, I'm doing something new. I don't need the veil anymore. I've opened it where you can come in and talk to me anytime you want. Stay as long as you want. Talk to me about anything you want. I'm available to you. There's no more veil. There's no more person you got to go through. You come through to me through Jesus. It's a great Friday. God started something new. We would become the temple of the Holy Spirit, no longer a building made with hands that would uh, house the glory of God. He touched the sanctuary. He touched a sinner that was to his side. He touched a, a soldier at the foot of the cross. When that, when that darkness came and the earth shook. And let me tell you what happened. Let's read this. You know, he was, uh, uh, the temple was torn and Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit to your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Because he was in charge. Nobody was ever else in charge. He was in charge. When the Roman officer, verse 47, overseeing the execution, saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. Third witness. This guy was innocent. Why did we crucify this man? Watch. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home, look at this, in deep sorrow. Something happened. They came to be entertained. They came to laugh and make fun. And they did that. But something happened. When the darkness covered the sun and the ground shook and the veil of the temple was torn, they knew something unusual had happened. This wasn't a normal crucifixion. It wasn't an everyday event. It was a great Friday. And instead of walking away cheering, we got that guy. Man, we put that down. They left in sorrow. Most of them probably not knowing why. But they weren't laughing. They weren't celebrating. Their heart was heavy. Their mind was troubled as they began to leave that cross. The last thing I want you to get is this. 
I'm going to go back up. During this time of the crucifixion, verse, verse 32, two others on both, both criminals were led out to be executed with him. And, of course, they nailed him to the cross. As they were nailed to the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and leaders watched this. The crowds watched and leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself. If he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one, man. And the soldiers mocked him too. They offered him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They're crying out to make fun of him. We know it's not true what you said, but go ahead. Prove us wrong. Come off the cross. Jesus had nothing to prove. He had nothing to prove. He knew who he was. Philippians 2 is going to tell us that. He knew he was God. He didn't have to prove that. I want to say something. Young people hear me. Old people hear me. Senior, I mean, just hear me. Um, I can use that term now lovingly because I just became one of those older people, I guess. My birthday was yesterday. Uh, but I want you to know, young or old, we sometimes think we have to fight and defend God. We have to prove that God is right. No, we don't. God is well able to do that himself. I have called to be faithful in my testimony and to give a hope of, a, of what's within my life. I share the truth. They can take it or leave it. I don't have to fight people over it. I don't have to argue about it. I don't have to prove a thing. You don't even have to prove your faith. You just live it. Many will reject it. They'll make fun of you just like they did of Jesus. They'll make fun of you just like they did of Jesus. They'll laugh at you. doesn't change the fact that it isn't so. You see, it doesn't change what's real and what's true. And Jesus said, I ain't got to prove anything to you. Guys, don't get caught trying to prove truth to a fool. You can't win. But you're not supposed to do that. Jesus said, I ain't got to prove anything to you guys. Had he come off the cross to prove something to them, we would be in a bad spot. We'd have no way of securing a relationship with God. He stayed on the cross because it was his choice. And he wasn't trying to appease that of foolish men. So look what happens. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, made fun of him, mocked him. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. Hey, you get off the cross, take me off the cross, and I'll, I'm a believer. <laughs> the fourth and last thing, the thieves demonstrated human responsibility to reject or receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. The, gla- the greatest illustration on the Great Friday, what a perfect illustration of how life is. Jesus was hung between two other criminals. Not four, not five, not three, just two. One on each side. And they illustrated the choice that faces every person in life. What are you going to do with the man who hung on the cross in the middle? What are you going to do with him? You're going to receive him? You're going to reject him?
Well, one guy's over there saying, hey, if you are, let's get us off the cross. But there's another guy on the other side who says this. The other criminal, verse 40, protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man has not done anything wrong. Fourth witness to the integrity and character of Christ. When God good. There ain't no way to, his, he can't discredit who he is. The thief recognizes he's done nothing wrong. Pilate said he's done nothing wrong. Herod said there's nothing wrong with this man. The soldier at the foot of the cross said, why did we crucify this guy? So the conclusion must be this. If he did nothing wrong to deserve the cross, he died on the cross because we deserve to die on the cross. He took our place because we are not perfect and we all have done things wrong. And so he died on the cross for us to take our place, to pay our price, to settle our debt in the judgment hall of God. And here's what this, the look at it. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. You want to know how perfect the illustration is of the thief on the cross? When we come to receive Jesus, we come just as we are. The thief had already said, I deserve this. I deserve the cross I'm hanging on. But would you remember me? I believe you are who you say you are. And Jesus said, we're going to see again in a few minutes. We're going to meet again. I'll see you in paradise with me. The simplicity of salvation is you come just as you are. As bad as you are. And God's grace is sufficient to save you. You see, you say, why do you call it a great Friday, Pastor? Because the greatest person who ever walked the earth made the greatest sacrifice ever imagined for the greatest result, salvation to those who believe. It was a great Friday. If you've believed. I've enjoyed, I, one of my, in, I really enjoyed the movie The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've never seen it, you are too. But I enjoy watching one. Uh, uh, when, when people see it for the first time, and, and my kids saw it for the first time, and, and it, you get into the movie, and it's really a well done. C.S. Lewis, incredible mind that wrote the book. And, and so, uh, it comes to the, toward the end of the movie, and a lot has happened. You see the, the, the contest of spiritual warfare and right and wrong and, and, and good and evil. And the evil witch finally has Aslan, Aslan who's, the, who's the lion, to, uh, uh, he has to pay for sin of others. And so he does this to deal with the curse, and therefore they, he surrenders himself to the witch, and she, she humiliates him by taking away his mane and cutting it off, and he's, and he's tied down, and he's executed and it's amazing. I, I remember watching as, as people would watch and, and I should watch and they go, and you guys start crying because they killed Anslin. And it's sad to watch the humiliation he endured and he died. 
And, it, and I, part of me wants to cry out before they get to see the rest of it. He didn't stay dead. It's okay. Because my friend, he didn't stay dead. Jesus was taken off a cross and put in a borrowed tomb by Joseph Arimathea on that Friday. And Saturday he spent all day waiting on Sunday. And we'll talk about that next week. Because he didn't stay dead.